Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We're also over on Facebook, too. Subscribe to the feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go to nationalreview.com. Click on Podcasts and find all the fine NR offerings there. Listen, leave reviews where possible, help others find the show, and we invite you, and thank others of you, for joining us at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Political Beats. Support the program, help it sh- uh, stay ad-free, as it is. We have entry-level for support and voting privileges, mid-level for early access to our new shows and at a higher audio quality, and our upper-level bestest friends, early access, higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content episodes, remastered shows, playlists, and more. That's available at Patreon.com slash Political Beats. Now to the part of the program where we thank our Patreon supporters individually, at least a handful of you. Thank you, Daniel Schwanke. Thank you, Wally Thurman, Rob, Gregory Jewell, Ethan Harema, John Bolin, Ron Schiffman, Ryan Jackson, Devin Rossler, and Faxon Bishop. Thank you and the rest of you out there for helping us keep the show ad-free and support our efforts over at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Good morning, Scott. You know me, I just stumbled out of bed, fumbled into the kitchen, poured myself a cup of ambition, went to the closet, looked for something nice to put on. I wanted something a little comfortable. What are they? Oh, there it is. I found it. It's my afternoon turtleneck. I imagine you're doing it somewhat similar to the way that Mr. Rogers would when he arrived at his house each day. Shoes off, cardigan in the closet, awaiting. Yeah, but unfortunately it turns out that it belongs to my friend Matt. (laughs) Jeff's on Twitter, at EsotericCD. Our guest for today's program is a Washington-based journalist, who's covered national politics for CNN, McClatchy, and National Journal. You can find him on Twitter, at Adam Wolner. And uh, appropriately enough, his name is Adam Wolner. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. You know, I've spent countless hours, you know, talking about this band, um, you know, to friends, family, colleagues. But I feel like this is probably the first time where someone has actually voluntarily sought out my my thoughts and opinions. So so for that, I, I, I deeply appreciate you guys having me on. Well, well, we'll see if that's been a big mistake or not at some point during the course of the episode. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, before we introduce our band and discuss, uh, discuss how you got into them and why you love them so much, tell people a little bit about your career as a journalist, what you've done, what you're perhaps looking to do. Yeah, so I've been out in, in D.C. now for, for coming up on, on a decade, which is uh, kind of hard for me to believe. But, um, you know, I've been covering national politics uh, really the whole time I've been out here. You know, I kind of measure my my time here in, in election cycles. So I've got, uh, you know, three midterms and two presidentials under my, my belt now. And um, so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to next. I'm, you know, one of those weirdos that is always looking forward to to the next election cycle way too early so uh it's already on to, to 2024 in my mind <laughs> and you can find adam on twitter again at adam wolner that's w-o-l-l-n-e-r 
And our band, our featured band for today's program, is another in a in a series. Uh, I kind of like this series. Bands Jeff missed out on for the past 20 years and is now just discovering. These are good bands. Uh, it's My Morning Jackets. And uh, what, a, what a time we'll have discussing their music and career today. Adam, we turn the floor back over to you. Tell us why you love My Morning Jacket, how you found out about them, and why other people should care about their music. Yeah, I, I first um, really heard of them more towards the, the middle of their career. When, when I was in high school uh, was when their uh, 2008 album, Evil Urges, came out. And at that point, I was still very much in my, my classic rock phase, you know, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, The Who, that, that kind of stuff. But, but there were a few uh, uh, friends of mine in high school who I knew were kind of into this band. I, you know, I'd never really heard of them, but it, I, they didn't really click with me right away. And then fast forward a few years later to, to 2011, uh, when uh, Circuital came out, um, I, I just you know have very clear memories of I was uh, home that summer from college. I, I bought it on CD, cruising around in my parents' uh, 2003 Chevy Cavalier, uh, very much enjoying it. And it was really starting to click with me. And then I realized that uh, they were playing at the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee, um, really just a few days before the show. So uh, you know was able to, to cobble together a few people to go along with me, and really just you know completely. Uh, blew my mind and I think you know for most my morning jacket fans it really is the the live experience that that really uh, brings you in and so I, I was really hooked on their music ever since and um, basically any any time that they're uh, you know playing within you know <laughs> within driving distance if not uh, you know even uh, a flying distance of, of where I am it's it's always uh, you know kind of drop whatever you're doing Uh, beforehand, um, thinking that you might ask. So I've I've seen my morning jacket proper eight times. Not bad. Um, okay, you got okay, yeah, and 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 um, you know it's ironic too that we're recording oh, and spinoffs this and side acts. Yeah, and and Jim, yeah, Jim James solo. I've seen him twice. Awesome. Um, okay. so now we're really getting total. into bonus territory. Impressive. Yeah, exactly. And and it, yeah, and it's fitting that we're recording this week because um uh, just. Uh, yesterday, uh, my morning jacket announced their their summer tour. So I've already got uh, one that that, that 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 will be on, on the book soon this summer when when they come to DC. All right. So I interrupted you. You can continue. Tell us more about what this band means to you. Yeah, I think what would really you know aside from kind of the the initial um, sort of just you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of being blown away seeing them live the first time. I think, you know, they just occupy a really, you know, unique space, at least in the kind of music I'm listening to. You know, I, as I mentioned, I kind of come, you know, middle school, high school, I was listening to a, a lot of classic rock, a lot of bands that, that my, my dad liked in particular. 
got into once I was into college, I started to expand a little more into the the indie rock space. And I think, you know, My Morning Jacket sits at a, a very interesting nexus of a lot of different genres of, of rock music. And they don't really fit into any one neat category. You know, a lot of people call them a, a jam band. But, you know, if you're a fan of, of Fish or, or The Grateful Dead or or Goose, you know, bands like that, like they're probably not quite jammy enough for you. But then for, you know, kind of your more um, straightforward, down-the-line indie rock fans, they're probably a little too jammy for you. And then you know, if you're into a little heavier of rock, they're probably not quite uh, heavy enough for you either. But but for me, it, it's, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting something out of them that I don't quite get it from any other band. You know, they, they check a lot of different boxes for me and have just had a lot of, you know, special experiences, you know, seeing them live, being able to bring in, you know, you know, friends and, and introduce them to the band. Uh, you know, even you know, got my now fiance out to to a couple shows, and, and she had a good time as well. So you know, you kind of keep building on these on these experiences and these memories, um, and they and they you know have just been one of my my go to bands for for a long time now. set up for me actually but scott you should go first i think yeah i'll go you know you know more about them than i do which is you know another time this has happened <laughs> well it, but it is a band i lost touch with for a little while adam made a great point i think in that as we'll hear throughout the course of the show today uh, the, the, the musical genres that my morning jacket play in plays in uh, are varied and there are different touchstones and different ways that people can access this band. I was first introduced to My Morning Jacket way back when, I believe with the second album, their second album, At Dawn, I think is the first time I started hearing about My Morning Jacket, and that is on the tail end, so, you know, 2001, 2002, I was hosting this radio show at my college station, which was Roots Rock and Alt Country and Blues and Americana, and so... You know, the kind of music and the kind of albums that My Morning Jacket was producing in those first few efforts fit right in, in, in that genre. And so that, that's where I was first introduced to My Morning Jacket. Yeah. 
music. I, I lost touch with them for a while. Uh, <laughs> frankly, I lost touch with a lot of new music for a while in the late aughts because I was working weird, weird hours and just not staying connected to a lot of stuff that was being released. And so coming back to it at this point and either being introduced to new stuff or sort of reintroduced to stuff I just glanced at years ago ha- has been rewarding. And Again, to, to Adam's point, yeah, the, you know, if, if you enter them from sort of a countryish uh, uh, perspective, there's stuff there for you. Uh, if you love live music, well, my morning jacket has you covered there. If you like something that's a little more jammy, as Adam said, well, yeah, they 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 do that too. They they can rock. They can really stretch out. They can play spacey stuff, psychedelic stuff. They really touch on all these different elements of music from around the genres. I saw an interview um, with with Jim, I think in 2008, uh, in Rolling Stone. He was like the four touchstones of my morning jacket music. He said Wilco, Bjork, Radiohead, and Pearl Jam. And so you have a little idea about where they're coming from. Pearl Jam's an interesting... Uh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that all four make a lot of sense. That doesn't works. it? Right? Especially... Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you've come to like them now recently, and that's a pretty good four-pack of bands on your on your like list. Um, and Pearl Jam's an interesting comparison or an interesting career comparison because you know that's the jam band part of them. Yeah, really, I think. And, yeah. and two, at some point, you know, Pearl Jam's official studio releases start getting spaced out a bit, and they they become known as these sort of road war horses. And My Morning Jacket didn't release forty-two CDs from a tour twenty years ago like Pearl Jam did, but they certainly are known for the live act that have made a lot of their bones uh, as a live performing act. Uh, I I think people are going to be, I would say, stay with us till the end because... This is a band that evolves in a major way. There's never a dull moment as we had from sort of episode, not episode, episode, but album to album and the way they they move through their their, their history. And they're always pretty interesting as well. So, of course, the story with me is that yet again I've been sandbagged with an artist that everyone else knew except Jeff. You know, just when I asked Scott, "Hey, let's lighten up on this a little bit," and I'm starting this new thing. You know, and I don't want to have to learn a discography every month. Well, here we go. The National, of course, was the first one, and boy, what a wonderfully serendipitous one to have come before this. Bands that started at similar times, they had very similar sounds, but also had a little overlap in their dreaminess but also began with country tinges and evolved into these indie greats. And I didn't know a thing about either of them. I didn't know a thing about either of these bands, just like The National. I mentioned this story on that show. This was a name to me that popped up on the Radiohead forums. I don't really have a story of how I discovered them. How I discovered them was booking the show. And that's embarrassing. Obviously, it's embarrassing. I don't make any excuses for like my ignorance about a lot of great modern music. It's just something about my habits. I also ended up getting wonderful surprises like today's show. This is going to be great. And the reason it is is that I'm going to regret it when it's done. Because this is a band I know, just like with The National, that, and as I predicted was true with them as well. I'm going to come back a month later, a year later. 10 years later and have so much more informed things to say about all I can tell you are the observations that just somebody who looks listens to this music all I can tell you is what I hear and what I hear is the same thing that Adam mentioned about that whole nexus of influences and Scott said the are the four bands I didn't know Wilco was in there but I thought to myself several times taking notes oh, that sounds like a Wilco trick that sounds like a Wilco trick flaming lips I'd also say uh-huh. there's a huge influence there and it isn't always the way you would expect Somebody better. 
just a welter of a bunch of my favorite classic rock influences. And what's more important than that is that they aren't just playing with Lincoln Logs. They found a way to assemble this into something new, something fresh. They found their own way into something strange and, and, and kind of uniquely theirs. I don't know how they could carved out this weird, you know, you know, Kentucky-like hardcore rock, but also dreamy, jammy kind of band. They all look like Slayer too. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, that's why you have to see them when you see them on YouTube. And of course, fans know this. I think they cut their hair at some point, but like yeah. the classic videos, they all have this just like giant mops of hair. They all look as rock as like the seventies did. They could have, they looked like they could have been in Skinner, basically, or the Almond Brothers. They had that kind of a vibe to them, an intensity to them, and uh, they combined all of this with the dreamy high voice of Jim James into the strangest gumbo. Uh, the sound that you get, whether you start you know, with my morning jacket in their early career, or you, you listen to their latest stuff is always going to be set aside by his voice. It's a really expressive voice in its earlier days. It had remarkable range. He doesn't quite have the range that he used to, but he could hit some crazy high notes, go to some very weird places with his falsetto and generally surprise you. Because again, it's like the party trick I used to pull, like a sound like that shouldn't come out of a guy who looks like this. <laughs> Right, you shouldn't be able to do that eat kind of thing. Like, no, no, that's weird. But he has such a beautiful tonality that he gets away with it. People have compared it to Wayne Coyne. They've compared it to Neil Young. But I love his voice. As far as the construction of these these songs are concerned and the songwriting, I mean, I think the the biggest and most obvious observation I'd make about My Morning Jacket is they are a bisected band. They feel like two bands, and there's a pretty easy line you can drop, and it's everything. It goes runs right down the middle of it still moves. All right, maybe there are some songs on that that feel like part of their early career. Maybe the sprawl of it feels like their early career. There are some songs that very much feel like their future and where they would go later with electro pop. But there is a very sharp delight, maybe like a Genesis-like thing, that the transition wasn't like from album to album, but it happened gradually enough that by the beginning and the end, they're different groups. And so you listen to this early kind of very weird, guided by voices like recorded in a barn, you know, <laughs> sound. And then you listen to the very smoothly pr produced sheen of their most recent material, and you find, wow, here's a band with an enormous trajectory as well. probably make the best sense just to dive into it and scott i will beg you since i am clearly the least qualified person to set up this band's biography could one of you two take it for me 
I even prefer to hand it off to Adam, uh, who is the most knowledgeable about this band by far in today's show. I, they're, I know they're, they're Louisville's finest, and we know they started off recording in these barns in the middle of nowhere in, in Kentucky. But Adam, set us up where My Morning Jacket originates. Yeah, so yeah, they really got their start um, right at the end of, of the 90s. Uh, the Tennessee Fire was uh, the first My Morning Jacket album that came out in 1999. Uh, uh, big in the Netherlands, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, huge. In the Netherlands and in Belgium, uh, they were actually uh, the subjects of a Dutch documentary called This Is Not America. I think you can find it on, on YouTube. I, I, I watched it a few years ago. I was going to try and rewatch it before. Uh, we recorded, but I, I would recommend that for, for folks if they want to get a sense of really that this band at the very early stages. And, and it really was a, a Jim James solo project, more or less, at the start. Uh, yeah, he you know, was in some other band, I believe. And yeah. He's like, he's like, here are my folkier songs. Right? Yes, exactly. Um, apparently, the name stems from he found this old coat uh, that had um, MMJ emblazoned on it. So there, you know, there, there's a name for that. Um, and uh, an interesting just kind of the makeup of the band, too. There was only one other uh, member at, at the time who's still with the band today. Uh, that's Tom Blankenship, also known as Two-Tone Tommy, uh, who's who's on the bass. But otherwise, uh, it, it was a, a different uh, a different crew uh, that was getting started at, at the time there. Uh, he uh, recorded with uh, his cousin, uh, Johnny Quaid, and that was actually his uh, his grandparents uh, farm in, in, in Kentucky where, where they recorded and famously, uh, you know, used the, the silos for, for the reverb. And that was, and that really marked those, those first couple, my morning jacket albums was, was the reverb on, on Jim James voice. And that really, uh, you know, set, set them apart, I think from, from a lot of the other sort of, you know, country tinged, um, indie rock bands at, at the time. Well, I guess that we should start then with that first album. The Tennessee Hilltail Fire, which I guess like more Morning Jacket fans maybe don't like talking about this the way national fans like sort of don't listen as much to their early stuff anymore. Me, of course, because that's where I'm told not to go is where I go. <laughs> All right. And I find this album to be uh, fascinating, weird. And I, would, I wrote this in my notes, the most inexplicably produced records I've ever heard. Uh, what do you think of, yeah, the bizarre, you know, tin silo sounding room uh, tone to Tennessee Hotel Fire? off i guess I, yeah to, to jeff's point about it you know not being where people might start i mean look if you were saying you know what does this band sound like today you you couldn't get farther away necessarily in their career than where they are at the tennessee fire and as i'm sort of going back and comparing things album to album what i would say is i don't think there's anything necessarily here on the tennessee fire that would stand with their 
best work. Uh, nothing from this album is going to make my final five songs in the end. And yet it, it's it's an incredibly interesting listen because of those elements. Jeff said it's one of the more, I would, I would say, weirdly, oddly produced albums. Look, do you like reverb? If you like reverb, you're going to love the Tennessee Fire. Uh, sort of lo-fi, reverb heavy on everything. Vocals, drums, guitar. And it gives it this quality um, that that is just really um, spooky and haunting. And something they do on Tennessee Fire in the next album that I really like is is their ability to use the space to and not 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 spacey because we're going to get to that point, but just the ability to use the space. And, and part of that is the use of the reverb and the production. Part of it is just allowing the song to sort of settle and unfold and. And, and and all sorts of messages live inside these spaces, inside all of these songs. And you do get this sort of sprawling Americana type song. I mean, it's it's not quite country. It's not quite the band, but it's it's somewhere there. And, and in the production and in these songs, you get an idea of certainly where they are starting from as they begin their career. And I mean, really, in a lot of ways, I mean, starting off the album, you know, with with Heartbreaking Man, I mean, in terms of, you know, a, a band's first song on their first album, you know, you could do a lot worse than that. Um, and I, this is going to be a theme I, I come back to throughout this discussion. I think they often uh, start off yeah, their, their really albums very, very strongly. Yeah. And um, and, and well, it's, I mean, the other interesting thing about this album, I mean, it's it's very long, as are <laughs> uh, many of, of their first but, two. I, I was reading, uh, apparently, you know, Jim James said, uh, you know, when they were making these first couple albums, he thought, well, you know, who knows if they're going to let us make another record again, yes. so let, let's pack this with as much material as we can. And so I, but, I just want to point that out very quickly, because Jeff and I, we've yeah. talked many times on the show, as you probably have heard Adam about it. It's our, already, it's in my notes, We, we want, we like, but, but, Jeff, look, if there's a, if there's a, an explanation, a reason for you to pack 73 minutes of material on an, on an album, we may it's, never do this again, it's not the worst explanation in the world. But then they did it the next time too, they did. <laughs> and the time after that, right? It took them, yeah, it took them, I think, until their fourth album to get the like the ten song, forty five minute album down. But as a My Morning Jacket fan, I'm never going to complain about having more My Morning Jacket. Well, I have a lot of um, thoughts about this too, but yeah, but you finished, yeah, what you're saying? Yes, and, um, and but what's interesting is you know it's sixteen songs, but unlike some of the albums that come later, actually, there's only one song that's over five minutes mm-hmm. on, on this first album. So it's the just songs a lot of songs are actually yeah. Pretty, pretty short because again i think it is almost you know it's jim james and a guitar and then very sparse and then we'll maybe you know kind of put you know the band around him um and, and th- this was definitely an album that i didn't listen to a lot when i first got into them and it really took me within the past couple of years to really get into it and it's because and i'm i'm gonna try not to say this with 
with every single album we talk about, but I heard some of these songs live. And, you know, they, especially with these early albums that are these very kind of lo-fi, you know, uh, short songs with, with the, the modern incarnation of the band, I mean, they just take them and completely blow them out and, you know, and turn them into these 10 minute jams, you know, War Begun, Picture of You, If All Else Fails. They've really reinvented those songs live and it gives me um, a, a greater appreciation in retrospect for, for what they are on this album. I have to tell you, uh, I, first of all, all the complaints about the length of this album, of course you knew I was going to register them. <laughs> I mean, yes, and the next one, and the next one. But if you're going to tell me in this one first case that, yeah, they didn't think they were ever going to do it again, well, I might accept it. And the reason I'm going to accept it is that I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed this mm -hmm. odd little dog's breakfast. It does, does, in fact. This is going to come criticism I come back to with a couple of these albums. It feels just like a compilation of random tracks. It's just like, again, that very lo-fi guided by voices aesthetic, like here's 17 things recorded in Robert Pollard's basement, you know? And, and so like some of these things are so informal. I might like this note that I keep come keeps coming up is that they sound like campfire sing-alongs. They sound like they were recorded all together in one room. And there's only one microphone placed like, you know, a couple of feet away from them. And they're all just playing to the one mic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It, it, it's almost impossible to describe the sound to you until you've heard the clips when we drop them in. Because then sometimes they, they, they go counter to that with this incredibly boomy drum sound that is, I think a lot of people assume that it's inspired by like John Bonham and like you know, the When the Levee Breaks sound. But I hear equally as much the Flaming Lips and Stephen Draws. I don't know if either of you guys are fans of the Clouds Taste Metallic, that era of Flaming Lips. I, I, that, no. Yeah, that, that, that's a band that, that's a blind spot for me. Uh, okay, well, I'm just going to tell you the drum sound on that and also sort of the wildness. The, the, the total, like, loosey-goosey. In their case, it was acid. I don't know what it is in these guys' cases. Maybe <laughs> they had, maybe they had you know, too many oats from the oat from the oat silo they were in or whatever. Uh, but, like, I'm telling you, the wildness and, and sort of the untamed uh, noise uh, is what made the lips fascinating in that era, and it's what makes early my morning jacket, even if it's flawed, pretty fascinating to me. There are songs here that are like uh, miraculously simple. If all else fails, you mm -hmm. know, at, at, that is a really great verse. Okay, a little pedestrian chorus, but then he, all of a sudden they're, they're throwing in Beach Boys harmonies into the middle of it. It's like striking ambition for how casually it's produced.
like it, it, it's about twilight now is a really snappy rock song that of course sounds like it was recorded inside an enormous tin shed mm-hmm. it, it's strange how the, all the guitars are crunching away so loud and you know it, it, jim james is he's shrieking at the top of his lungs but it, it still sounds like it's being heard from down the hallway um so the production is what you know makes it distinct i think handicaps it but does really help it on one song and i don't know if this is a favorite of the fans or not but the bear is just yes. remarkable that's the, I, the, the drums on that are the big <laughs> slow goodness. pounding drums and then it just then it opens up and this is the thing that you'll notice with all the great my morning jacket songs throughout the rest of their career the really good ones they linger they drift and then they suddenly seem to flower all right. Yes. They evolve. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they soar. And this is the first time you hear it on their record. It turns into this wonderful, soaring, dreamy ballad. And yeah, it's the first time they impressed me. I'm, I'm glad you you brought that up because uh, yeah, the bear is probably my my favorite track on this album and uh, uh, is definitely on my my short list for for my all time favorites. The only other one I wanted to highlight here is uh, Nashville to Kentucky, which to me structurally and lyrically feels like like a classic country song, and yet again with the way it's produced with the vocals and the just incredibly incredible reverb uh, on one electric guitar and vocals and you have lyrics you like take me out of this dead-end nightmare put me back in a world i can live it's a it's it's structurally a classic country song electric country folk if that yeah. makes any sense and yes it works it works the only reason i don't like it as much as there's just too many slow ones in a row it's the problem <laughs> you know yeah i mean the one other thing i'll say is that there are some lame ones like the dark is genuinely a lame track it's like something trying to be soul i suppose there's a soul punch going for there it doesn't work um by my car you talk about how sometimes the band is clearly like a stew pot of its influences and you could detect the little bits by my car is so transparently inspired by u2's all i want it's you 
that I laughed. It's the same mood. It's the same, you know, strumming of the guitars. It's the same entire approach. So, you know, it's it, 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 and, I, and I did a bunch of these notes for some of the songs later on. Uh, that one is a decent one, but it, it's too much of a ripoff. But I guess my main criticism of this is that, like, you should have taken, like, you know, seven songs off. I guess I don't mind them. I guess I would have mind. I would have preferred them as bonus tracks. But then I found that this thing does have a two CD yeah. reissue. Twentieth anniversary. New <laughs> so they must have had a lot of material around this era. Any last thoughts yeah. on this one before we move on to the next? I was just going to say, Jim James is, is nothing if not prolific. That uh, he's proven that uh, time and again over uh, these past twenty some odd years. And, and, and he proves it with At Dawn, which is the second my morning jacket album and i think you know this is the first one where i'm genuinely seeing things that 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 are approaching greatness but they're still not there but again it's the part of their early again campfire sing-along era I, I even go down to the cover of this album all the early my morning jacket albums have really great cover art yeah. by the way mm-hmm. i got to say it's one of those things that you sometimes shouldn't get appreciate tool had a little bit weird cover art my friends my morning jacket has some beautiful images on that thing so the second one here is just like it's like a band show at dawn it's where you expect to listen to this album Yes, take it, Scott. Yes, you 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 want to be uh, perhaps sitting on a on a, on a on a blanket, sun going down behind the band shell. You've got this group of uh, four or five guys on stage. Uh, probably not, you know, a massive amount of of speakers. You know, maybe they just have their speakers on the stage from from the from the band shell and enjoying a, a summer night somewhere in small town America. That's at dawn. The cover represents where you should or where you could listen to this album. This is the one in which Jim James famously records his vocals in a grain, an abandoned grain silo. So you're not, you know, stylistically, you're not too far away from the first record, Tennessee Fire, but you do begin to now have the structure develop around these songs in which they could be I want to say that they're, they're not pop songs, but they're certainly more pop songs than the the, the first album. I mean, something like uh, "Lowdown," which is not, by the way, a cover of the Boz Skaggs tune. This is brand new, or the Wire tune, for that matter. Uh, this is like the first proper pop rock song. I mean, it's not a pop song, but it is a song that has a pop structure to it.
while retaining some of the some of the edges that made those songs so interesting on the first album, right? It's it's not quite as atmospheric. It's not as spooky. It doesn't sound like it was recorded in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, there's, a, there's a proper chorus to it. These are the things they're beginning to build into their tracks on At Dawn. I really like a, a lot of these songs. Uh, I, will, I, will, I will beat Jeff to the punch and say, yes, of course, it's too long. You have three songs that total like 22 minutes right on the back end of the record. It's, it's hard to sort of get. You see the end in sight, and then <laughs> that's still so far away when you have a seven-minute track and an eight-minute track and a nine-minute track before you get to the end of this album. But there's a lot of really good stuff. Um, I think Christmas Curtain, or Xmas Curtain, as it's on the, on the track listing, is my favorite track on At Dawn. I love the sound of the guitar. It sounds like seagulls calling. There are some really beautiful, gorgeous guitar lines through Christmas Curtain. I think that's the most fully formed, best song on the record. You see and hear new tricks, though, hopefully, which features bug and insect sounds, uh, as if we're not just at a band show, but perhaps around the campfire together as well, as Jeff described the recording from the, from the last album. Um, but it's a campfire near a cave because you do still have that reverb happening. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, Honest Man. Honest Man does something that they, that they do later on in their career that I think is so neat. It's They are playing this song, and it sounds as if they're playing at half speed. It sounds like you have somehow put... Uh, old people, right? You put the record at the wrong speed. It's playing half as fast as it should, but it works. And then with Honest Man... It's such an intentional choice because you get this long kind of guitar freak out at the end. The juxtaposition of those two things really works well. Um, I think At Dawn is a is a clear step forward. They begin, they evolve on essentially every album moving forward. So you hear that here. You hear really, I think, most importantly in the structure of the songs and the way they're beginning to write around uh, somewhat of a, 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 a typical verse chorus structure in places. You know, just to piggyback off of Scott's point, that is, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about My Morning Jacket. And, you know, I really, uh, you know, realized as I was kind of going back through their discography in order is, you know, no, no one album is, is quite like another. I think, you know, Tennessee Dawn or Tennessee, excuse me, Tennessee Fire and At Dawn are probably the most stylistically similar of, of any of their, their albums. But, um, you know, clearly, you know, we're moving, you know, towards a little more of, a, you know, a, you know, stretching out the songs a little bit, um, you know, a little bit. Uh, you know, tighter, you know, popular songs, as Scott mentioned as well. Um, so this is really a nice bridge in between Tennessee Fire and, uh, you know, the next album we'll get to, It Still Moves, which starts to move even more in kind of a, a more rock 
direction. Um, in terms of other songs to sort of call out here, um, you know, the way that he sings is is a is you know a popular one among the fan base for sure. You know, so gets a lot of play live. Um, you know, and, there, and there's a lyric in there that I think sums up how um, you know a lot of fans feel about the band. Uh, it, the lyric goes, "It's just the way that he sings, not the the words that he says." Uh-huh. And I think that you know is he's not talking about himself, but I think that is a good way of of describing Jim James's appeal. Yeah. Um, you know, even yep. if you're not necessarily connecting with exactly <laughs> the lyrics that that he's saying, it's you know the way that he's delivering them and just the sound of his voice is what sort of is what you know draws you in uh, to this band. I'll just drop this here very quickly because it's a note I had later on, but to piggyback on your point, I can't remember a band that we've covered on Political Beats, at least anywhere recently, to which I've cared less about the actual lyrics. Jeff and I have talked previously, you know, it's the the sound, it's the music that grabs you first, maybe you find the lyrics later. My my morning jacket, from start to finish in the career, I, I, I maybe have written down three or four sets of lyrics somewhere in my notes, but what they are able to do to make you feel what they want you to feel through the instruments and through the way he sings. That's the power of the band. I probably cared less about lyrics for this band and this episode for any episode that I can recall doing on this show. 100% and yeah. And, and for me, you know, that's, it, it's funny that everyone listens to music a little differently, right? Like I know, you know, plenty of my, you know, you know, friends, you know, are, are much more focused on the lyrics. For me, it's much more about, you know, just sort of the vibe and the atmosphere that that you're creating. You know, I just, you know, some of the other bands that, that I really like, you know, such as, the, you know, the War on Drugs, I think, you know, fit fit that bill. Uh, you know, Boney Bear, a, you know, a slightly different style of music, but but similarly, you know, it's Justin Verney, you know, his, his voice, it, it, it's almost being used as an instrument. You know, it's, it's just another layer to, to the song overall. And I think, yes, uh, you know, Jim James is in a similar vein. This. Um, and yeah, and, just, and, and one other one other song I just wanted to to call out is is Phone Went West, uh, you know, a pretty simple, straightforward track on on this album, which is very good in its own right. And uh, and now, you know, for anyone who's seen them live, you know, this is often a a set closer for them, and it's just this epic, um, you know, really a masterpiece in my mind. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be talking about it a little more later, but just wanted to, to call that one out as well.
I mean, you guys have covered most of what I want to say about this. It, it basically is just, as I said, another fascinatingly produced album. You get the campfire feel. There's something I, I ask myself. Like, where does an idea, like, hopefully come from? You know, Scott mentioned it with the crickets and the bugs, that summer night vibe. It's like a, it's a fascinating sonic smear surrounding a simple acoustic song. It's Velvet Underground, like, almost. You know, the drones are very straight Velvet Underground-y. But, of course, that whole vibe comes from, <laughs> I joked with this about this in my notes. I was like, this entire album is inspired by one Flaming Lips song off of in a priest-driven ambulance called There You Are. There you are You're driving your car And you wish for the stars And you end up face down In the road Dead as fuck Which is just that, like Wayne Coyne with the acoustic guitar, a couple acoustic guitars singing this haunting like song about like some sort of like you know philosophical music while crickets hum behind him. Obviously, that's only one track, but it's so clearly the inspiration for something like, you know, where does something like if it smashes down come from? You know, that's Will to Love. Other, you know, that's the other thing I can think of. Will to Love by Neil Young. Remember when he's recording like with the fireplace in the background, mm-hmm. and then you hear like the delicate sound of the room echo, the lo-fi ambient noises, and then all of a sudden, it, it, when you think you've got the measure of it, is that little yodeling solo at the end. It comes from this almost alien outsider hard place that's just hard to let go of. And, and it, it, it's really memorable. The, the the two big songs on this album are the way that he sings, you know, which you know was already mentioned, and also Lowdown, and 
I think you're going to get better live, which I'm going to have to talk about a little later. But before we get to the next album, can somebody tell me what the hell a Cobra is? Because this is actually technically what comes next. The weirdest EP I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, you know, very funny, My Morning Jacket. It's an EP that's 40 minutes and 35 <laughs> seconds long. Your EP is two Beach Boys albums. Okay? And, of course, it's got some interesting little pop things on it. Can you see the hard helmet on my head? It's kind of neat. But it's centerpiece is this bizarre freak-out 24-minute thing that I joked about, and I don't know. You seem like you might know a little bit more about it. So you want to explain what this bizarre, legendary track is, Adam? Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, the way I explained it to you guys, I, Cobra is kind of like a, a white whale for a lot of my Morning Jacket fans because uh, it, you know, it's one that they certainly don't play in full live very often but every once because it is it, you know it's like a four or five part song essentially so occasionally they will work in kind of a section of of that song into their into their set list uh this is one personally it, it's not necessarily my like my it. cup of tea um it, yeah it's interesting um, I'm you know, asking I, myself, why am i listening to this thing three times it's 24 minutes i got things to do but <laughs> i did yeah, I, I certainly don't don't pine for it. Um, I'm sure some of my Morning Jacket fans that are, are going to be listening to this are going to uh, vehemently disagree. But uh, that that's maybe one one area where I'm not in in, in the mainstream of, of of the more hardcore fans. <laughs> Scott, did you ever get around to hearing any of this stuff? You said you, had, you I, got slammed for time. At yeah, the end. I didn't run back and hear most of the the EP or, or rarity stuff. I was focused mostly on the official uh, long play releases, so I didn't go back to, to listen to Cobra or this EP. That's all right. And in fact, you know, before we get you know to the next album, they they did after that next album release like these two records set. I, I can't remember what it's called, like early recordings or something like that. And basically what it is, is it's just it sweeps up almost all of the other like weird, bizarre EP tracks and, you know, demos and, and, and bizarre covers and puts them all on like a two record set that's like presumably thematically ordered. But, you know, whatever. It's been early days for me and asking me to know everything about this is maybe a bit much. What I did notice, though, is that it does have just a really beautiful cover of uh, Elton John's Rocket Man on it, which is basically everything early My Morning Jacket did wonderfully. It's just Jim James singing like in a haunted echo, you know, you know, an acoustic guitar, singing the song straight and he sings it purely and beautifully. And it just reminds you of what, what a well-written song Rocket Man actually is. That's yeah, probably that, that's all. That's always among their their like top streamed on Spotify. You know, if you go to their their top track, that's always right right at the top with um with their original songs. Rocket Man. 
this is Gap. I just said that that's probably one of the first entry points for a lot of people to the band is that rock and really? band cover. Yep. I had no idea. See, well, there you yeah. go. I mean, <clears throat> it's a fitting way to wrap up the early era because, you know, while the early era is, is never going to be dead and gone, this band obviously is about to change. Uh, and, and I guess maybe in a major way because the bear is back, baby. Uh, the Bear wasn't just a really good song on their first album. Apparently, it's like their spirit animal that they bring out on stage when they play concerts, like the, this giant stuffed bear that sits on the cover of It Still Moves. <laughs> is i would say most fans agree and i'm not gonna lie i agree certainly from listening to this group for the first time myself the big breakthrough for this band um it's still too damn long and it like threatens to end at least three times okay and, and it should have just gotten to <laughs> that ending it the first time but it is a sea change for them it's a beautiful sounding record and there's a strange new delicacy to this music that was really never going to leave their act again yeah, I think for me, this is, you know, really the, the perfect culmination of that of that early era of, of My Marine Jack. I kind of mark the, the, the second era. It comes, it comes in the middle of this album, to my mind, right? Or like, like because there are some songs here that look to the future, and then there are mm-hmm. some songs that look backwards. I guess that's the, I'm the noob. That's the way I see it, though. Yeah, yeah, I always kind of, yeah, at least for me, the, the next album that, that we're going to talk about is sort of like the, the, the dividing line. I kind of view this as, uh, in a similar vein as... Um, Tennessee Fire and At Dawn, although it certainly is a, a combination big, of that era. Okay. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and a huge step forward. Um, you know, you mentioned the length, but for me, you know, there's really not a bad song on it. Um, and this is, you know, really where, you know, they kind of start to let loose a little more and, and the live sound that they're really just kind of starting to develop at this point. You know, they're starting to tour a little more in the U.S. Um, Patrick Callahan uh, joined on, on the drums uh, for this album. Um, and, and for me, you know, with this album and the next album, I um, often think of Led Zeppelin's discography. This is sort of like their their Led Zeppelin four for me, uh, where it's just like, you know, this could almost be a greatest hits album. Right. I mean, you, you know, Megiddo, One Big Holiday. I mean, those are almost kind of like for me, I've heard those songs so many times. It's almost like Led Zeppelin's Black Dog or like a rock and roll <laughs> at this point. I mean, they're still so good, but it's just, you know, I've heard them, you know, so many times now. And One Big Holiday you know, continues to be you know the 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 song that, that they you know go to to close with their their encore
I just, you know, really, you know, this is, you know, not only my favorite My Morning Jacket album, but, you know, really just one of my all-time favorite albums. Uh, just, you know, so many, you know, to, to run through on this. But I guess, you know, and I'll, you know, I'm curious to hear what will you guys make of it and what songs stick out to you as well. But I'll at least start with uh, Steam Engine, which is the, the second to last song. To me, you know, this may be yes. kind of the, the perfect My Morning Jacket song. It should have closed, lo- it closed the album. That's the only Yes, complaint. yes, that was right? well, so, I, this was in my notes. This should have been the last song. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had a very similar thought listening. Take your money and your As I said, there's not a bad song on this album. If I was going to cut one, I would maybe cut one in the same. But it almost is kind of like that exhale <laughs> after after Steam Engine. And and one in the same, I think, is the song on this album that would most closely fit on At Dawn or Tennessee Fire. So, again, kind of to my earlier point of this being the culmination of, of that first era, that early era of My Morning Jacket, um, I, I'm fine with it, uh, closing it here. It, to me, it, you can you can view it in, in as it being sort of fitting. But again, the power of that song is just, you know, in the long, slow build. I mean, it's almost, I feel like they took a, they also made a learn this trick in some ways from Pavement, who were really great at copying it during the later part of their career, you know, on songs like Finn. Um, but like, there's, there's, there's a complex power to these My Morning Jacket epics when they come off that is unlike, I think, the repetitiveness of lots of other, what you think of when you think of the, quote, long song. I get deadened and bored by them sometimes. Yeah. And again, the, the, main guy, the main problem with these guys is it's just too much music. <laughs> Give me some B-sides, man. These be, some of these would make entertaining little weird B-sides, but I didn't need Rowan back on the album, I guess. Cool. You know? I agree. You know? I didn't need one in the same on the album. That might be your favorite. It might not. On the other hand, I definitely need I Will Sing You Songs, hmm. which is nine minutes long, and it earns every second of it. So I got to tell I, you what I wrote down. Go. I wrote down Indie Country Pink Floyd. Yeah. You've never heard anything <laughs> like it. That's my thought. Yes. That was yeah. my thought.
This is the part. There are like Megiddo. When they get to that nagging chorus in Megiddo, I thought to myself for the first time, I was like, okay, everything else it was really interesting, kind of like proto exploration stuff. I've never heard anything quite like this. I've never heard anything like I will sing you songs. All right, that long, slow, and it, by the way, my only knock on it is that again, it's as good as it is here. It's even better live. The long, slow build to this explosive guitar climax. It almost feels choreographed too, um, almost more Skinnered in some ways. Like one big holiday, the big freakout at the end of one big holiday. That's not like improvisational music. That's all very clearly. They're, I mean, they're feeling they're, they're they're jamming it through, but they planned out exactly what they want to do on that song. And all of this stuff, all of these songs, even when there's too much glut on it, um, there is just so much thought put into it and so much better care in the production. Like no longer it was a nice little, you know, gimmick, you know, for the, you know, the spaced out vocals, uh, but we now have the booby drums and we have a really tight present production. say about this because it's obviously one of their great albums but yes this is the one that just absolutely impressed me immediately as well what i would say about it still moves is there's some music you have to work hard to appreciate or to enjoy just the way it is it's great music but you got to sort of really devote yourself to, to 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 liking it to listening this album meets you where you are with a warm embrace and gives you something to grab onto almost immediately. One of the things I like about the album is almost every song has a different thing to love. There's something sonically happening different in almost every song. Uh, Dance Floor has horns and a false ending, uh, essentially. They come back and return for more for one of the best songs (laughs) on the album. Golden is gorgeous. Beautiful acoustic, this galloping drum beat layered vocals in the chorus golden's one of the best songs here master plan has these big riffs in it and a huge rock star finish uh easy morning rebel like it a lot the swinging rhythm memphis horns that i read were played by actual stacks session guys
all these ideas. The horn, the horn work on this album is another surprise. That's new, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's really well integrated. Like, they, they have a lot of horns working in on dance floors, too, at the end of that. And they're subtle. They don't just go barreling in and make it all about the horns. It's just part of that ensemble, and it works really well. They have so many ideas percolating through this album, and they don't blow them all on one track. They, they spread them out uh, through different tracks on It Still Moves. You don't lose sort of that... Uh, they didn't lose the atmosphere of the past two albums, even though they lost some of the production of the past two albums. They, they are now creating the atmosphere with just guitar vocals horns in places right and, div- and, and the diversity of it as yeah. you said yeah. they don't waste all their ideas in one track and it's not like the album is monochromatic you know you you got like you know the big guitar epic progish almost freak outs like i will sing you songs or, or run through which is another great one which you can even discuss i'm just like that's that, that's a that's a hard song then you got the quieter ones then you've got I, what do you call magita i mean what is it this is like a sparkling I don't know what it is, but when it gets to that jangly chorus, it's this REM. It's something. It's it's that out. It's uncharacterizable, and that's that's what they found on this record. I interrupt you there, Scott. I was done. I was going to toss it over to Adam. All right. Adam, yeah. any last things? I mean, this is, a, this is a fantastic album, so please, if there's anything more. No, I yeah, I think... yeah, you The end of an era, I guess. You know? Hit it all. Right, yeah, and, and really, yeah, going out with, with a bang in, in a lot of ways. You know, this is this is the last one, um, I believe, that they, they recorded, you know, on, on, the, uh, on the farm, essentially. So, you know, you still kind of get that, um, a little bit of that vibe from the first two albums. But, um, you know, as you mentioned with the horns, you know, I think they, they moved uh, uh, record labels from their first two albums. So I think yes. they had a little more money to, to play around with. And that also comes through. And I think, you know, as we were saying with At Dawn and Tennessee Fires, at times it almost feels like just sort of a, a collection of songs that are um, just sort of thrown together where I think, you know, on this album in particular, there's a clear flow to it. And I think it, it works really well from beginning to end. And, um, yeah, and every one of these songs, you know, is still, you know, I, I think could could be among you know any fans, you know, top five or top ten. And I guess it really was the end of an era. Uh, you know, when you think about it in terms of the, the you know the the personnel in the band, because right. this is the last one with their their drummer and I think also keyboardist and guitarist. Or no, no, I think it was their drummer joined for this album, but their keyboardist yep. guitarist left. Right, something like Correct. that. Yep. My notes yep. are a little confused on this. Yeah, yeah. It's all there yeah. to me, re- really. But yeah, and the sound change will show up in the next one. They took also a year off, and that's when they released all that archival stuff that we were talking about earlier. Did you guys... I'm, do you, do you, actually, I have to say, I really like that Acoustic Live EP. Was it Acoustic 
uh, I'm not going to try to say Sitsuwaka is maybe how you say it backwards, but it's just this little, I don't know if it's fake live or if it's real live, but they go through stuff like The Bear and Bermuda Highway in particular that are just really kind of beautiful songs already. And again, they have a they have a really light touch when they just, you know, instead of rocking it up, they rock it down and it works really well. <laughs> don't let your silly dreams fall in between the crack They really know their they know their craft, but uh, you know I don't think we have to say too much about that. Actually, you know what, Adam? Maybe you're the one who want to help set up the uh, difference in between you know what left and what came next on their fourth studio album, Z. Yeah. So as we were alluding to before, um, this is kind of around the time where we start to see some some changes in in band membership. Um, you know, they had already brought on a, a new drummer, Bob Patrick Callahan, who still is is with the band today, one of uh, Jim James' uh, childhood friends. Uh, and then starting with with Z, you know, at this point they were really starting to gain a foothold, and what we're touring a lot more, and you know, it was really starting to to wear on them. So that's when you know a couple of of the members of the band, the um, uh, the other guitar player and the keyboardist left, and so they were kind of at this crossroads of deciding what to do next. And uh, so in come Carl Bramel and Bo Coster. According to to Jim James, apparently they were the the first two that they even uh, considered and, and tried out for the band. Um, and everyone else, they they tried out afterwards, just didn't stack up. So they they brought them in. It's been the the same group of five ever since 2004, and and both really had you know an, an immediate impact on on expanding that sound. I mean, you know, Bo Coster is, is just an amazing keyboardist, and uh, is just so good at just sort of filling in the gaps, um, you know, of the you know the, the twin guitars and the bass and the drums, and you know, he's just really good at tying everything together. Uh, he even uh, tours with. With Roger Waters um, now, so you know, you know some of that My Morning Jacket, Pink Floyd uh, connection. They they often get compared, and then you know Carl Bramel, you know he, he comes in, he plays the pedal steel guitar, he he brings the the saxophone in on this album, um, and and that really helps you know kind of push in this new direction where uh, you know they they their color starting, palette just gets even wider. Yeah, starting right, starting to leave behind a little more of of that you know kind of southern rock image. They're experimenting more with synths and and drum machines. Um, and this is when they kind of start to be uh, compared to to Radiohead, you know, called the the American Radiohead. Um, but this is this is, I think, along with it still moves. I mean, Z would be the other album. I think if you polled most my Morning Jacket fans, either it's it still moves or Z would be at the top of the list in terms of their in terms of their their favorite album. <laughs>
song that you identified on this album in our notes that you said, oh, well, everybody thinks that's a bad My Morning Jacket song. <laughs> I actually thought to myself, I, I saw it was like, I'm like Homer disappearing back into the bushes because I was like, I kind of liked that song. And that would be Into the Woods, right? But yes. everything else here is just, you know, the other one, okay, just to get it out of the way. Wordless chorus, all time my morning jacket favorite. You fans have been mm-hmm. waiting for the clip. I don't know. I never liked it that much. But then again, I've only known it for three weeks. <laughs> um, but beyond that, this album is just—it's so multi-hued and impressive. Even wordless chorus gets into a nice R and B groove, and and that's the whole point is that they have a different sonic palette than they used to, without really having sacrificed what it was that made them my morning jacket before. And that was what made me really enthusiastic about these things. So much. about these songs but i'll just say again i keep twigging on jim james's obsession with bono of u2 and gideon which is close to my favorite song my morning jacket has ever recorded in my so far um is like the most ridiculously perfect combination of echo and the bunnyman and u2 the howls the climax at the end of that song that is a combination of red hill mining town and all i want is you and brother am i here for it talk about the rest of this before i get in my last licks but yes this is a different band that is still the same because i guess the songwriting and the spirit of them remain the same uh it was very pleasing to find that like when they evolved with this new electro pop sound they didn't somehow become more robotic or more annoying that would have to wait for the next record <laughs> this is a more polished effort clearly it's tighter songs are tighter the length is tighter 
playing a bit more with rhythms. I, I think the tighter structure is welcome in in a lot of areas. And, you know, called the uh, American Radiohead, as Adam referenced, well, they brought in Radiohead's producer. So there you go. Uh, nice step in that direction. Um, there's the first half, of the, or the first side, the first half of the album is super strong. Uh, 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 side two doesn't hold up quite as well for me. There's a couple of songs, Anytime, Lay Low, which are decent, fine, okay. Uh, not quite as good as part of the rest of the album. Off the record, which is this sort of plays around with sort of reggae rhythms. It's a song I probably shouldn't like. I'm not the biggest reggae fan in the world, but I like this song a lot. And what I like most about it is what it becomes. I listened to this four or five times this week, and the last time it finally came to me, you know what the the, the back half of that song is? Jamaica. Well, I, I was. It's a, it's a, it's it's the back half of "Can't You Hear Me Knocking," right? We, oh, we, right. No, we, I didn't think. I have to go now. I have to go hear that. I was thinking Zeppelin's Jamaica, with, fused with the reggae, with a, a reggae version of a Hawaii five-o hook. But, you know, in terms of feel, you have this beginning, which is which is very rocking, upbeat, and then all of a sudden, everything sort of drops out, and you have this almost jazz-like ability to sort of create these last two and a half, three minutes of music. I, I love the way those things have been jammed together uh, on off the record. Um, I, I I do like I like wordless chorus. Uh, Gideon is a fantastic song. On the second half of this album, the final track of the album, uh, Don Dante. That's great. And this is, Jeff had mentioned this earlier. I'm going to bring back this point now because for me, this is where it really starts in that Don Dante and on these future albums, where I really enjoy this band is when they have these long songs, seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. And Jeff will tell you, it's not, this is not typical for me to say these long songs are my favorites. Sometimes they're they're difficult for me to throw my arms around but the way that my morning jacket constructs these these longer songs the way they sort of simmer and get going you just give them time to cook and eventually they explode they become this thing all the ingredients that have been simmering for four or five minutes come together like oh okay that's that's where they're going that's what they were trying to get to don dante is a long song but again they use the space. They use the pacing to their advantage. It's wonderful to hear the, the band, you know, on an album that is a little more, as we said, sort of synthy and structured. It's nice to hear them play together, play off each other as they stretch out on Don Dante to end Z.
point. I would liken it to an act of musical storytelling. Uh, you know, because they have a narrative flow to the music. It all seems to, even though it goes like on a really, it's like a Norm Macdonald joke in the way. It's just like a very long tale that you're not sure where it's going to end. It might not circle back around like a normal one does, but it always feels like it's supposed to be going where it goes. Um, and that's why there are other bands that have these kind of epic tracks, and I just feel it's endlessly repetitive. And I'm, yes, just like you, so surprised at how engaging my morning jacket is. And, and this is writing. They're not just jamming. They've written all this into the song. How good they are at putting that together and not boring me at all. Yeah, Don Dante is definitely another one of those sort of quintessential my morning jacket songs. Very emotional song, too. You know, Jim James wrote that. Um, not long after a, a friend of his had had passed away, and um, yeah, just really a, a, a terrific way to to close out that album. Um, and yeah, as Jeff uh, alluded to earlier, I think this is almost a a perfect album with the uh, with the exception of of Into the Woods. Kind of has like creepy circus vibes. Talks about a kitten on fire. Not, not exactly my uh, my, my uh, <laughs> idea of a of a my morning jacket, but but the rest of it is is really fantastic. You know, and you guys hit on a lot of it already. I mean, it beats for you, just kind of that pulsating, you know, pick drum and the, the urgency the of that chorus. That. Yep. The urgency of that chorus again. I was one of those moments where I perked my head up and said, "I haven't heard that before." That was really eerie. Yes, I, it will capture you if you hear it for the first time. Um, you know a song like anytime just from beginning to end is just kind of you know hair on fire um and you know just a very straightforward tight rock song that you know is just really exhilarating from beginning to end uh lay low is 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 one of the highlights on this for me as well you know kind of starts off with that cool uh drum machine beat and just you know ends with the uh you know kind of the, the twin uh you know guitar solo on, on the way out and it's just um you know another one of their their live staples so um yeah you, you know it's it's interesting that um you know this was only only recorded two years after you know it still moves but just you know the, the leaps that they were able to take with their their sound but still being able to maintain kind of that you know it still is that my morning jacket vibe just continuing to push it in, in a new direction um you know to go back to my led zeppelin analogy i guess if if the last album was their led zeppelin 4 i suppose this would kind of be their their houses of the holy um but uh but yeah definitely uh you know for, from beginning to end uh you know there, there's a lot to like here all right, two notes. Okay, first, you know, anytime it, it it gave my heart a sad to hear Scott say they thought that he didn't like that song that much because in my notes I say this is the core of this record and oh. basically the acid test for whether you'll enjoy this band. So Scott, maybe I don't get this band. <laughs> 
But I have to say, that's where the whole thing comes completely into focus for me. Those Titanic guitar playouts, that wistful little jangle in the chorus, and then they, it gets like an 80s-style pop metal lick followed right up with it. I mean, that's my kind of music. It's ridiculous. And then lay low after it. Am I correct? I didn't do enough research for this. I just listened and took notes. Adam, am I correct that, that this was produced by Nigel Godrich? Because I was going to ask you, because there's it's some... It's not Nigel. It's, uh, it's, it's John Leckie. Oh, John Lucky, okay, who produced the Benz. Okay, but still has an association with them. Okay, because Lay Low, which is, I think, also one of my two favorite songs on this record, uh, is totally stolen from Radiohead's Morning Bell off of Kid A. That drum that you're talking about, which is just ridiculously mic'd, is a mutant brother of the 5-4. Which that repetitive sampled beat on Morning Bell, which Tom York sings over, this is the same thing, basically transmuted into like what a country rock lilt, a top smashing tin shed drums. There, it's a ridiculously great song. Where you, this is the first time I wrote, I was like, "This is how I know they're probably such a great live act." I got to hear them live because, like, this is the one where you just know it should probably it would explode. And indeed, I have heard them play it. It's really great. cemented them so yes this is a fantastic band and uh, yeah i i think yeah into the woods is only okay off the record's a little silly because as i said i never liked zeppelin's jamaica so i'm not gonna love that one either um and i guess you know that's really just about it for criticisms um the thing i want to ask next is i wanted to know if uh scott you had any opinions about one of the great live albums of the decade didn't hear it ah, you <laughs> didn't here, Okanoko. Is that how you pronounce it, by the way, Adam? I think I, it's I, I, Okanokos. I, I, I think Okanokos, because you, you know yeah. what I thought you could it could it could be like like you know some sort of Indian name, or I thought it might actually scan as like the thought process that goes through your head. You know, just like when Mike Tyson punches you, what happens to your plan? You just think, okay, <laughs> oh no, KOs, right? You get knocked there out. There you go. Yeah, that, that that's as good of an explanation as, as I've heard. Kind of the effect of the album on me, too, because this is like getting a punch in the face. This shocked me when I got to it, and my only notes for it are, LOL, it's their best album.
I'm not kidding, folks. This is making my top two at the end. What this is, is a two-CD, two-hour, I believe, or two-hour and change, something like that. Um, my Morning Jacket concert from the Z Tour, they're playing basically all of the great stuff from the last two albums, plus some selected cool rarities from the earlier records. Uh, and uh, it's basically a perfect show. And it's it's what immediately I'm going to go back to and listen to again once we're done taping this. It's the first thing I'll return to. I cannot emphasize enough. And, and there are people, the fans out there will emphasize, oh, well, that's not as good as the 2012, you know, Red Rocks concert that they played. You know, I'm sure you guys, there's a billion better, like, My Morning Jacket concerts out there. I hope one day to discover them. I just want to emphasize, if you were as ignorant of this band's power as a live act as I was, this stuff blew my face off. I was, like, literally pumping my fist to this. I set aside my work, and I was like, okay, time to pay really close attention. They are so exciting live. It's such a magical sound. They execute the stuff that you thought on the studio would be too difficult to pull off with perfect grace, and yet they're twice as intense. He sings, and it just sounds like an angel. It's genuinely exciting stuff. Yeah, after I, you know, as I was saying at the the start when I first saw them live in, in 2011, I mean, this, this is what I what I turned to after that and this is and you know what i listened to basically on repeat for years and uh, you know I, I would still say this is probably the, the album of all theirs i've listened to the most and it would probably be you know if i wanted you know if someone was looking to, to get started or an entry point with, with the band i i would actually recommend that they start with with this album because you know as you mentioned it takes you know all you know a lot of their best songs from from their first four albums and just you know kind of cranks them all up to 11. Scott's point that like you know you know you can skim off just the really great stuff and yes it works as well as you would have thought live and of course I know there's just so much more out there to explore Rick I, I, I you know Adam told me it's like well you should hear what they did with Phone West live that's amazing you know and I didn't know that until he pointed it out to me there's a bunch of other stuff out there the other thing is visually the look of the band as mentioned at the beginning of the show this is a DVD as well as a CD apparently there's a DVD mm -hmm. I saw clips of it on YouTube memorable as hell they're all just hair metal like you know head banging so intense and yet again that angelic voice is coming out of there and it's like at the Fillmore in San Francisco it's just a, a a wonderful surprise I can't tell you I had no idea how great these guys were live took me completely you know like getting hit you know by a side swipe by a Mack truck and I, I couldn't be happier <laughs> um, I guess that unfortunately leads us to <laughs> couldn't uh, be happier my, until 
Now, until until their next album, Evil Urges, Evil Urges. This is I know. I, I guess I want to let Scott go first because I know Scott kept talking in the early show notes about how this one is his favorite, and there were a lot of songs that he wanted to defend on it. No, I, I didn't say that. I didn't <laughs> Why say do I that. Keep doing this to you. What, what, I have it's some sort of impulse to perverse. This is know, this is a this is a weird album and i say it's a weird album because it's not because that you know stylistically it's so different because z was was a stylistic departure from what the band had done previously i say it's weird because i hear three different albums here trying to escape from each other yeah. everything is pulled in different directions so i hear I, there there are three distinct albums that i hear on evil urges one is essentially the first third or so uh, the title track, and uh, and highly suspicious, and these songs in which you kind of have this funk R and B falsetto Prince sort of feel to some of these songs, and it was sort of there was a song on the last album, right, which is something for you, and it's the number four. There's this little Prince illusion in the last album that sort of leads you to say this is not a, the biggest surprise in the world. I don't think this is really effective. <laughs> I don't think this is their best work uh, by by any stretch. So, so you have this sort of electro funk album. songs like Thank You To, uh, Sequoakin, uh, maybe even Two Halves. I refer to this as the Sky Blue Sky trilogy, uh, edging close to almost like yacht rock territory. Strangely sort of soft and somewhat bland. I don't think that works really well either. <laughs> and then you have a third album, Dying to Get Out, and this is like uh, Aluminum Park and Smoking from Shooting, and this is, I listen to those two songs, and you know what I hear in those two songs is like this Springsteen-esque slash hold steady sort of effort to, like they've always been a band looking for these big climaxes, right? They're a great live band, they know how to, to play to a crowd, these big climaxes, but here in these songs, they're... They're like grasping for something even more, like this emotional connection through the storytelling with these big swings of choruses and these big riffs that are rocketing through these these songs. And I'm not sure that works really well either. And so uh, it's not a bad album, but I don't know. It is so it is so messed up. It is so mixed up. Uh, even a song like I'm Amazed... I think it's the fourth track on the album, and it seems specifically calculated to bring back people who were put off by the first three songs and the electric. Okay, so that, I was going to tell you, Scott, there's a fourth album in here. It's, right, it's the album that has go some ahead. hard rock, has some hard rock plays on it, like "I'm Amazed" or, or "Remnants," and, and I don't think that works that well either. I'm
Drucker. Right. I mean, I'll say this, that I, because I don't have so many preset expectations, I did not mind some of the Prince moves. I think the title track isn't a bad song. I don't know if it's unpopular among my Morning Jacket fans. I think it's, it's a nice, easygoing, anthemic, lush ballad. And, you know, he does sing exactly like Prince. But, guys, I love Prince. You know, I don't have a problem with it if it works. I'll tell you where it doesn't work. If you take the sweet, sweet flavor of Prince and you try to merge it with, like, Slovenian post-industrial <laughs> hardcore from 1993, mm, highly suspicious is why we shouldn't combine Prince with Laybach. You know, highly suspicious of you. What the hell is this? This My notes, my notes literally say, this is too much. <laughs> it's like, it does not work. <laughs> it's the other thing I have. I, it's like a joke track, I guess. It's the closest thing that you could come to a joke track. What was this, peanut butter? Uh, there was a sub-lyrick. Yeah, uh, peanut butter, butter and pudding, su- pudding surprise. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. And he's singing it in that princey falsetto. And then it's, are you suspicious of you? And I'm like, what is this? Shit. disappointing aspects um you know the one track on here that really does i think actually earn a classic status is smoking from shooting i think that's where the the, the touch me i'm gonna scream i think are both okay part, i think part, people the second part those. is good the, i think both two. of them are okay yeah. I, I i don't like the drum rhythms on the first one they feel alarmingly mm-hmm. stiff given you know that classic big boomy drum sound that they used to had um, so the second one is better in that respect, but Smoking from Shooting is where that electro pop vibe really does work beautifully. The pedal steel in the background, you know, it gives it that uh, the country fusion tinge, and then the slow build is it's again the old trick, but this is a great melody and it keeps developing. You know, that's a graceful, glorious moment where he sings like, "Do you live your life on the road?" And then the entire second half, you know, builds into a fine climax, and it's the one moment where, while well, this sounds like my morning jacket is, oh, at least you know, as I've now accustomed myself to them sounding was supposed to sound and the rest of it it either sounds as you said kind of alarmingly inoffensive or ooh that's an experiment that just didn't work It certainly is widely considered to be their their worst album, and and I would agree with that. Um, you know, you, you pointed out some of the the low points already. Highly suspicious, uh, librarian. I think is another one of. <laughs> I would probably put that in the bottom five of my morning jacket songs as well. Um, 
you know, even songs like I'm Amazed, it just that just almost strikes me as just a, a clear attempt to try and make it on, you know, mainstream rock radio. Uh, to me, it's kind of a, a boring song with, with sort of cliche lyrics, um, although I'm, I'm sure a lot of my Morning Jacket fans might, might disagree with that. Um, but I, but in, in some defense of the, the album, I think it, it starts off very strong. I think Evil Urges, and I actually do like uh, Touch Me, uh, I'm going to scream uh, part one quite a bit, and um, and, and actually <laughs> Jeff particularly that that drum part just because I think it is um, so unlike anything else that that really appears on any other My Morning Jacket album. And then it, and I think it ends on a high note, Smoking for Shooting and uh, Touch Me Part Two. Uh, but I think everyone, everything else kind of in between, you know, is either kind of, you know, for ranges anywhere from forgettable to bad. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of thinking about it in the kind of the, the trajectory of, of this band. You know, they really were, you know, starting to, uh, you know, they were on this upward trajectory after Z, after Okinokos. I mean, 2008 was otherwise a really big year for this band. I mean, they had this legendary you know, four hour, you know, uh, performance at Bonnaroo that started at, at midnight. And that was really when, you know, the, the, the legend of their live performances started to, to make the rounds. You know, they played SNL that year. They played Madison Square Garden on New Year's Eve. Um, but it just felt like they were, you know, after Z, you know, and that it was well received by critics and by fans. It just felt like they were trying to push a little too far in that experimental direction. And we're really trying to shed that Southern kind of country rock label and we're really fighting against that and i think um you know the final product just, just didn't really work out and i think even when you hear jim james talk about it now you know he, he talks about how it was not a very fun album to record they were recording it in manhattan and it felt like kind of a very clocks ticking environment and i don't think they had quite the same level of, of um you know kind of freedom and, and, a, and ability to sort of ex explore and, and expand their sound the way that they did on on previous efforts uh, so, it, you know, it, it, it's an interesting kind of sliding doors moment where, you know, you know, because I think My Morning Jacket really could have exploded at, at this point in 2000 if they would have hit, you know, a kind of a fifth album in a row that that was really well received. But but instead, they, they end up putting together probably their their uh, worst effort. And it feels like and I slipped know, on the banana peel. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, then, and then, you know, then the next couple albums were sort of all about, OK, let's, uh, you know, sort of try try and make up for that. I actually thought they did a decent job with it on this next one, and I was surprised. I was expecting these next few to just kind of be, uh, you know, that long, slow slide, you know, and, and boy, that was that was a pretty jarring shock here with Evil Urges. I didn't, you know, there are some things on Evil Urges that are okay, but again, I don't think they'd ever sound as unlike themselves, and not just in terms of evolving, because they're going to evolve beyond this, honestly. Uh, they just sounded very out of their comfort zone on that record, at least as I can tell so far. But I did like this next one, 2011 Circuital. They took three years off. That's good. Gave themselves some time. Probably needed it. I don't know. I, apparently, Jim James was writing uh, Muppets songs. The Muppets <laughs> show hired him. And that two of these tracks, by the way, both of which I think are okay, uh, were going to make it on. He was going to sing it next to Kermit on a log or something like that. And then the executive got canned. And so instead, they make it out of this album. But while I do not think this is as good, obviously, as their earlier albums, I was I was actually surprised 
and how much I enjoyed some of these. And sometimes because they do take weird chances that I don't expect. So out of my system, that's one of the ones that was apparently written for the Muppets. And it, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> But you can tell. And you know why? Because my notes were so like the lyrics to out of my system are so direct and straightforward mm -hmm. that it feels like a total Beach Boys cop. That song is Mike Love singing That's Not Me. You remember, I had to prove that I can make it alone now, but that's not me. <laughs> it's the same lyric. And now that I know it was written to be sung again with Kermit and Miss Piggy, oh, it makes all the sense in the world. And I admit it. I like it. I think it's a very cute, very pretty song. And if I out that it was indeed for kids makes me, you know, now I don't feel quite as guilty about it. The lust of youth versus married security. I'm glad I'm here now, but just between you and me, I had to get out and make the deals and let me know how it feels, but that it ain't real. Out of my system, oh, out of my system. There's a way to have it all, you know, I ain't kidding. Things I know I'll never get out of my system If you don't live now, you ain't even trying And then you're on your way to a midlife crisis Living it out any way you feel You can feel it in your bones, but try to deny it Wipe it off your face, but your eyes What do you guys think about the rest of this one? Adam, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned uh, earlier, this was kind of uh, around the time that I was really starting to to, to get into the band. Um, and it's interesting now to, to return to it, you know, all these years later, kind of listen to it in the order of all these other albums. And, you know, I think clearly they were trying to get, you know, wanted a, a return to form album after evil urges and i think you know you know beginning to end very solid overall i you know i wouldn't say there's a bad song on it but at the same time you know it doesn't quite reach the highs of uh the, those first couple albums and and it almost feels like they're holding back at times especially now that i've heard so many of these songs live and you hear it in, in a studio setting it feels like you know they were maybe you know careful not to take too many risks uh with this one um but but you know, a lot of, you know, great moments to highlight. You know, we have another strong opener here with, with Victory Dance. Um, kind of a, a funny backstory about that one and even the uh, the album art on on this one. Uh, he, he Jim James was writing a lot of these songs after he had just had LASIK surgery. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of, that's where the, the eye on the, the, the front of the album comes from. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he talks about how, you know, he just felt so, like, relieved and that he had kind of like a new lease on life after getting this this eye surgery and he could see so much better. And, and that was what inspired him to write Victory Dance. Yeah. 
title track on this album is, is definitely my, my favorite. It's, uh, you know, just a, a quintessential My Morning Jacket song. That's you really know. what I wrote here. It's like, oh, they're back in their wheelhouse again. Yeah, and, right. and, and, I, and I mentioned, you know, pointing to, you know, new listeners where to start. This, this would be, if I had to pick one song, I might pick this one. Start here. This is sort of like, the, you know, almost like a median My Morning Jacket song and, and um, you know, really, you know, does the job. And that's, you know... Uh, has long been been one of my favorites. Uh, you know, you mentioned it's the little the... it's the little accumulated details in that song that I love. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a little piano that comes in halfway through in the right channel. It's kind of like a it reminds me of "Shot in the Arm" by a mm-hmm. Wilco. Mm-hmm. Which, and then that's why mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, Wilco! Wilco's an influence because it's a little circular figure and adds that just that little bit of like butterfly flapping its wings grace note to the song that it needs. They they still have a real taste for arrangements." Of people's complaints with evil urges was kind of this uh you know the, the falsetto that jim james used on a few of the songs and any and he still brings it back here with holding on to black metal which i think is a kind of divisive song i wonder how you guys felt about it, but i actually really like it a lot it's i like it just like, fine yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like silly lyrics in, <laughs> in a lot of ways but again that's not really what i'm coming to to my morning jacket for but yeah that's that's a, a huge song uh on the record and, and definitely uh one of my favorites there so i think you know all in all you know, it's 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 a solid album. You know, far from their worst, um, but also you know not not quite their their best either. It's a that's a fine summation. Um, I think it is uh, sonically a, a response to some of the critique or criticism that might have popped up from the last album. Um, they, they start here. I think it starts here, where uh, the first two or three tracks on an album. They sort of show their hand, meaning Here, here's some of the new tricks we've learned. And I kind of dig them. And then they don't come back the rest of the album. They, the rest of the album sort of lies back into the comfortable My Morning Jacket. Uh, well, jacket, so to speak. Uh, so these first two tracks here I like a lot, like Victory Dance and, and, and then uh, Circuital. Um, the, the, the songs that actually stuck with me a bit here are the really slow ones. In fact, the one that's specifically called Slow, Slow Tune. Um, I like the way that they give that song some time to deliberately unfold. Um, and then Wonderful. Wonderful is a song that if they did it, what, uh, 10 years previous, it would have been drenched in reverb. You'd barely hear you know, the vocals sort of cutting through all that noise. And that's not how they do it these days. It's just, it's very clean. I could take it or leave it. I can learn from way back when and still live right now. With the sun on my shoulder 
wrote in my notes and said this sounds like a throwback to it dawn's era yeah. my morning jacket because yeah. it's much more loose and kind of relaxed and less uptight yep. than like like you know evil yeah that evil thoughts right it, it's just kind of a production change the, the songwriting is very similar to the way they did things uh years ago so you know this is um yeah, I, I I think it's a solid effort, and I don't I don't think anything from here is going to end up on the on my final five. So it's one of those that that end up being slotted somewhere near the middle. I don't think there are a ton of high highs, but they're not a, a ton of low lows either. Well, speaking as a grizzled old my morning jacket veteran, I want to tell you guys I think this album is in danger of being their most underrated. Um, it's funny though; I already have opinions on which one could be the most underrated, and I. I really do think it is this, because aside from the songs that we've mentioned, Circuital might make it onto, the title track might make it onto my uh, final on the five. I'm not sure yet. Um, here, in, here on Political Beats, we sometimes don't know what we're going to do until it actually comes right out of our mouths. Um, but I also think that the end of the album is good. I really love Slow, Slow Tune, which for once isn't a very long song. It's just a slow tune that's very haunted and yep. you want to freak out as dreamy electro pop of the sort that i think this is this is the only part of like the whole you know evil thoughts here that i don't mind carrying forward they're good at this this is this is the part of them that has kind of really escaped from the original like you know the original conception of the band and has moved into a different place and i do like that sound coming from them because these are well-written songs They become slower in their output, and it saves them, I think, as an act, as we'll find out. Uh, because what they didn't become is Weezer, right? Where you're just cranking out an album every year, and the quality drops so precipitously that there's no time for anything to happen. If the music becomes harder or less obvious, then what I think you probably want to do is just you know, let you take a couple years off. So they took four years off between this one and their next record. And then they took, what, five years off between that one and the next one. And I think that's probably the way to do it. But before we get to, you know, the semi-retirement and side act life of Jim James, do we want to talk about, like, before or after this? Like, what's happening with the band and what's happening with Jim James's solo career that leads up to the waterfall? Yeah, I think because, yeah, in between this album and the waterfall is when we get his first, uh, you know, full length release um solo album regions of light 
and sound of God. And I think, uh, and I, as I was going back and, and reading some old interviews for this, I, you know, I can't remember during which um, recording process he said that he kind of started to realize when a song, you know, was, was good for the band and made sense for my morning jacket. And when it maybe made sense for him to do on his own, I think he talked about some frustrations of, you know, bringing these demos that he would do into the studio. And then, you know, but then, when you brought the whole band in, it didn't sound exactly the way he wanted. So right. we kind of, and the, band, and then the band was like, well, what, what do you need us for? It's you right, got yes, it the way you want right. it. <laughs> right. So he started doing some, some solo albums around this time um, and did a couple more after the waterfall as well. Um, but certainly I think starts to become a little more of a, of a focus for him and, and, and an outlet too. It, you know, it's not like he was just doing, you know, my, you know, other, my morning jacket albums under the Jim James name, I, you know, definitely you know they were experimental and kind of went in a, in a different direction sound wise so this brings me to my i guess i'd have to say well there is evil thoughts but even i was the guy who would make some defense of those songs there's something about the waterfall that makes it feel like the most chill album ever created for <laughs> yuppie strivers <laughs> like you know people like you know us who are young you know middle-aged professionals and want to go to that like you know that resort where they get to look at if you go to youtube by the way all the songs the videos are just various like waterfall images which is hilarious and very on brand for this album that I don't hate. Of course, I don't think My Morning Jacket actually put out a really bad album at all, which is, a, I think, a real tribute to their quality as, as an artist. But I don't love, and honestly, this is the one that has stood out the least to me of all of their records. You know, I actually, that's interesting. I actually have a note here somewhere. I don't know where I put it. I think this might be my third favorite my Morning Jacket album. I, Great. I, I, okay, different opinions on political beats. I like it a lot. Um, and it's not, so, to, not to discount the early stuff, which is different and I like. And But this one, the more I listened to it, the more I appreciated what they were doing. And one of the things that I noticed on The Waterfall, and it probably happened a, a, an album or two before, and I, it just is occurring to me now is, you know, as a singer, <laughs> Jim James has come a long way confidence and delivery and you get to a song like believe and james has always been a singer to hold on to those notes until he absolutely positively has to let them go and he does that in the chorus of of believe but man he's just he's become a really fantastic singer and believe has this wonderful big chorus with repetition and then the final time you go you know you octave up there's some really pretty piano work throughout uh, Believe, which leads off... Absolutely the best best song on the album, precisely because of that vocal performance. Yeah. That was my... Yeah, it's just stunning work, isn't it's it? It's really amazing. That's where it really hit me how good he had become. It begins and on and on the baby's born, the elders down all in the time. Started on the setting sun, the day has come, my mind is old.
But there are, there are really interesting things here. The Waterfall is probably the most emotionally direct record. And I know I said I uh, don't pay attention to lyrics a whole lot, but there are a few that you can't ignore, and this is one of them I wrote down on, on Get the Point. Maybe the most emotionally direct song, period. Uh, get the Point, The Thrill is Gone, Our Love is Done. Honest, straightforward, and I think a lot of these songs really play to the band's strength, too. Spring Among the Living. This is another one of those longer songs. We go past six minutes on this one. It's one of my favorite late-stage My Morning Jacket songs here. The way that they marinate everything and then arrive someplace. I love the guitar tones on Spring. I love the rattling drums throughout. I'm surprised you don't like uh, Compound uh, Fracture. That, to me, screams Arcade Fire. Uh, sort of the way the Euro... Well, if you would have let board. me get to it, my friend, that would have been my my favorite <laughs> song on this record. Okay, but yes, I do love Compound Fracture. But yeah, I want to hear your notes on it, too. Tell me. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you look uh, like a like something like Re- reflector and some of the Euro synths that were used on on those Arcade Fire songs, or even Sprawl too. Um, that's what that sounds like to me. It's 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 a wonderful wonderful yeah. song. The only thing I would say, when you get to something like Only Memories Remain, which I think is right at the very, very end, mm-hmm. that's a song that I was a little let down, uh, let me a little down. It's, a, it's something that I feel like may, may have nailed previously, and it just sort of floats. It's missing something. That momentum and that ability it reminds to have... me, It reminds me of the ending of It Still Moves, where it's like it's just that one song. Mm-hmm. Too like, Man, I didn't need that. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that. that's a good way to describe it. But I think, you know, taken as a whole... I really enjoy the waterfall. I, 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 come I, back think, to it then. I think they 
culled, and this is a good into my thoughts on the next album. I think they really did cull the best. This, these were big, long sessions. And at a previous level, well, they wanted it to be a double album, like 18, 22 songs. And the label said, no, no, we're not doing that. So they cut You've it made down. that mistake a couple times in your life, right. folks. Let's, let's not do that again. They cut it down, and I think they got it right. <laughs> I really think they got it right on the waterfall. Adam? Yeah, I, I would probably put the waterfall in a similar category to Street Hole. I would, I, I would maybe put it, maybe just a, a, a tick above it. You know, another album, just you know, beginning to end, not really a, a bad song on it. Probably the, the one I, I could kind of do without is Big Decisions. That just feels like a little too on the nose for me. I think this was kind of a breakup album, and that you know, it's very clearly of that ilk. Um, but but yeah, I, I can't remember. I wish you mentioned the the just kind of the way that this sounds. And it's very much, I think, a product of where they recorded it in, in Northern California. You know, it's a more expansive sound, very, you know, kind of a lot of light and sort of weightless feel to it. Um, you know, Compound Fracture is a great song, um, as you guys mentioned, uh, and speaks to a lot of the issues I think the band was going through at, at the time. I mean, they, you know, they had been maintaining such a heavy touring schedule for so long. And Jim, James in particular, really paid a price for that. You know, he had a heart issue in the mid-2000s. He fell off the stage in, in 2008 uh, and he, he even uh, needed back surgery while he was recording this album. So Compound Fracture, I think, is, you know, de- definitely uh, um, speaking to, you know, needing to, to take a, a bit of a break from, from this heavy touring schedule that they had been on and, and speaks to, um, you know, the, the absence that they would have for a few years after that. Um, I actually disagree with you guys on Only Memories Remain. That's one of my, my favorites on this. I think it's kind of an underrated song in their discography I, I get what you're saying scott in terms of you're almost kind of waiting for it to explode a little more with some sort of solo you know in a way that you know you, you've heard on don dante or steam, steam engine or songs like that but i kind of like how it just floats there and actually to me serves as a nice transition into into the next album As I said before, I think this is a, just a, another very, you know, solid My Morning Jacket album. Not my favorite, and also, you know, nowhere close to my least favorite. What do we think of the Semisonic collaboration with Dan Wilson? Big decisions. Uh, well, Adam said he didn't like it a whole lot. I I'm going back through my notes here. I think it's all right. I I, I don't know anything. It kind of, for me, embodied like what I thought disappointing about the album, which is why it leads my notes here. I don't want to take too long here because you know these these two these two albums do kind of fold together. Really, um, this again, there's no such thing as a bad you know my morning jacket album. Again, kind of surprising to me, uh, but uh, compound fracture clearly the best song. And yes, yeah, the arcade fire note is, is exactly what I had. I get that it's got a kind of an everything now reflector kind of a sound to it, which which I'm very much in line for. Um, but beyond that, I guess maybe it's 
Now, there are two things possibly going on here. One of them might just be the fact that it's the end of their discography and I've had less time with it than some of the other stuff. I'm even willing to grant that's a possibility, although I listened to, you know, four times to all of these records. But I think the other thing is that all of it does just seem to uh, flow together in a way that I almost felt was happening with a lot of national records later on in their career as well. Maybe this is the inevitable mellowing out phase of a band's career. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm also not entirely sure of what I think. First of all, they took five years off. I guess the band was sort of defunct. And of course, you might have thought so based on what happened next, which is just the release five years later of The Waterfall 2 which is nothing but outtakes from the original sessions. Apparently, this is kind of like the amnesiac to their kid, eh? Except they took five years to release it, except instead of one. Um, what, do we, what do we think of, of the second one? I know, Scott, you think this one is a lot more disappointing. I thought it was a little bit better myself, but what do I know? <laughs> the weird thing is, I, I read some interviews with Jim James in which he said that, hey, the next album's coming out next year when The Waterfall was released. And that he also and said... It was probably going to be this, yeah. He, he also said, uh, we're not going to call it The Waterfall 2. It's not a sequel. And so both those things were <laughs> way off. It's five years later, they call it The Waterfall 2. Um, this, that must have been... Well, a, and and, and I, I did that think, on purpose, by the way, after they realized that they caught themselves making that joke. <laughs> I think I think at, at one point, after he had said they were going to quickly put it out, and then they did, and then he said, like, oh, this will be one we put out like 30 years right. down the road. It'll be one and, of those lost lost albums. <laughs> and by the way, is, is this technically the first album we've reviewed on Political Beats that's a product of the COVID era? I think it is. Or maybe oh. one of those horrible late Weezer albums. I don't know. I'd but have I, to go back. I, I, I imagine it's, there's something. Well, because that's that's when James yeah. did this. Apparently, he was just sitting at home. Everyone was you know, not doing anything in the beginning stages of that. And he was like, "All right, I'm going to put this together." Yeah. Hard to believe that was like three years ago. There are a lot of nice, pleasant songs on this album. Uh, it's missing some of the rough edges that makes the songs more interesting. I think there are fewer risks taken on a lot of these songs. It's a laid-back, comfortable collection vibe. I was talking, we were talking via email before we, we started, and um, when I hear some of these songs, I get a, a real feel of, like, Ryan Adams and the Cardinals, uh, especially in the guitar tone. Laid-back yeah. spaces, kind of 80s, slight reverb on the guitar tone. And I just found myself thinking... I like I like that better. I, <laughs> I like the I like that stuff a little better than I like this stuff. It's not to say there are not some strong songs here. I'll let you guys take over in a second, but uh, I do want to mention "Climbing the Ladder," which I like an awful lot. Uh, yeah. it, 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 that slow tempo um, that you know it shifts to that slow tempo halfway through, which is really I, I, I love the way that sounds. It's a country shuffle with like this new wave-ish backbeat. It's a nice collaboration of sounds. I'm still climbing the ladder Still paying my dues Don't want to be headed anywhere though Sit back to him Don't know where I'm going Don't know where I'm from Can't hold on to anything really If it's already Searching for some 
there's a lot of stuff I'm not like magic bullet doesn't work for me. It just sort of lumbers through uh, wasted sort of rides that one riff over and over. They're really proud of that riff and they sort of drive it <laughs> into the ground. So I, I just think that they, I mean, look, I, I think they cold the best stuff. It's on the waterfall. This is more stuff and it's okay. So I, yeah, I disagree with that. Uh, the waterfall too is actually my favorite, my morning jacket album of, of the post Z era. Um, you know, certainly it is a much uh, mellower sort of cousin to to the first waterfall. Um, you know, I certainly have a lot of, uh, you know, you know, the time that it came out, you know, was really, you know, perfect for for a lot of fans, of course, you know, right in the middle of, you know, we are a few months into the pandemic, you know, you're not getting any new music, you're not able to go see music. And this comes out, it really just kind of felt like a breath of fresh air when it was desperately needed. But even returning to it a couple of years later, I, you know, I still think it, it holds up um, in, you know, to that level. I, you know, I think it's it's much more uh, than just a, a B-sides album, which in a lot of ways it is, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily come come through that way. You know, uh, Spinning My Wheels, I, you know, I think is, is a fantastic way to sort of kick off the vibe of the album. Feel You, I think, is quickly rising up the ranks of one of my favorite My Morning Jacket songs, certainly one of the, the best ones that they've put out over the past decade or so. Um, just another one of those, you know, just... You know, again, if I'm putting together a playlist of of songs for people to get into My Morning Jacket, that's going to be very high on the list. Uh, Wasted is, you know, not surprisingly, an absolute monster live. Um, and, and for me, I actually don't mind the, the repeat of the, of the guitar. If, you know, sometimes, yeah, if you, if you find something that works, then I can just keep, keep rolling with it. first time um I, I you know i tend to like the the more kind of spacey you know and just sort of lighter vibes from from a lot of my morning jacket albums so this just you know really um you know kind of hits right in in, in a lot of what, what i'm looking for with this band i mean that was actually just really perfectly said there adam and i, I don't know how much i can add other than i'll say that i really love the alternate dreaminess and it was realizing that this came out when it came out and, and you put it well it must have been a huge breath of fresh air but like you know the dreaminess of spinning my wheels really works well for me i don't think that should have been left off the first album well, it don't matter when you settle down and it should Day. 
climbing the ladder again. You've got kind of stole my note here, but that's like some rock and rock. You know that that is actually almost a little more of a throwback to their earlier sound that you would have expected from them at this late date in their career. I don't know if I've given the original Waterfall its proper chance. I think, there's, as I said right at the beginning of the show, it's eminently possible that a year from now or a month from now I'll have different views on these things. These are just my first impressions. But I, I mean, I liked that album, and I like this album just as much. What do we think of, and by the way, this is you know, it wasn't just a one-off. Apparently, this this woke the beast, and they they decided to get get it all back together again. Uh, they couldn't go touring immediately, so what did they do? They recorded another album, and this is, I believe, their most recent to date. It is their self-titled "My Morning Jacket" album, and now apparently they're back out on the road. Adam, if I if I recall before we started, or was it on the show? Did you say that you just got tickets lined? Yeah, it was on the show. You that's got right. Yeah, it up. Just just yeah, you know, that's right. So that's 2023. Who knows? Maybe another album's coming. But this is the last of them to date. My Morning Jacket. They finally got around to the inevitable self-indulgent, <laughs> self-titled album play. What do we think of this one, the most recent to date? Uh, well, I, I can jump in here. Uh, sure. as, you, as you mentioned, you know, it was their, the, the first new music they had recorded since 2015 and uh and yeah you know definitely kind of that period in between uh you know there was definitely some speculation that the band was kind of reaching its end point um you know in 2018 they they didn't tour at all other than um you know they they do this uh uh festival in mexico called one big holiday uh those are the only shows they 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 have their own dedicated festival that's great yes yes which uh yeah one big holiday right yeah exactly exactly it's it's yeah two too good to uh to pass up that that opportunity um and then in, in 2019 uh they they played four shows and there and i remember around that time there was some speculation like, oh could this you know could this be it for the band you know nothing coming from the band directly but that was definitely a feeling among the fan base that you know you know they hadn't put out any new music in a few years there wasn't any sign that they were going into the studio to record more music at this point jim since 2015 jim james had put out two more solo albums so it just seemed like he was much more focused on on that um you know on that side of things and you know to hear them kind of talk about this afterwards you know not that there was any you know personal drama or any tension between the band it was just that you know my morning jack had been around for for 20 some odd years now and they're just kind of feeling a little burned out by it but but to hear uh the, the band tell it you know the, these shows that they performed in 2019 really got them rejuvenated again they did two in new york one of which i was i was actually at it at forest hill stadium which was a great show and then they did two back-to-back nights at, at Red Rocks, which is sort of like, you know, that's their, um, you know, their, their kind of kingdom there. So, of course, you know, they're, they're ready to go back. You know, you know they're feeling uh, re-energized, ready to hit the studio. And then, of course, the, the pandemic hits <laughs> right, right after that. But, um, but, yeah, then they come back with a self-titled release in 2021, sort of, uh, you know, again, they're kind of, they're getting back together. Hence the, you know, going with the, the self-titled uh, for, for their ninth album. That's usually not when bands choose to go the, the self-titled route. Uh, you know, they go into the studio, no producers, just sort of wanted to, to jam together as a band and see what developed. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm, as I was saying to you guys before the show, I, you know, kind of mixed on this because on the one hand, if I'm just kind of looking at this album in a vacuum, I, you know, I'd probably put it toward, towards the bottom, you know, probably I'd still put it ahead of Evil Urges, but I don't know if I'd put anything else or uh, behind it. Um, but at the same time, you know, given that the band did seem to be reaching their breaking point and we're almost done, but now that they're here, they're putting out new music, they're touring again, you know, they're, you know, that, there's, certain, right. there's, yeah, there's nothing I can complain about. Um, 
But I'm curious what will you guys see as the, the, the highlights on, on this album. Well, I'll tell you this. The first thing I notice is that the cover seems like it's an intentional ripoff of the Grateful Dead's Europe 72. Mm-hmm. Has, and did the fans ever point that out? Yes. Or, yeah, that, uh, that was quickly pointed out. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yeah, it was obvious to everyone then. Uh, uh, the second thing I'll say is that I, 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 this is a very smooth and easygoing album for the most part. But the songs, again, the long songs really do pull it off for the most part. The one, there's, there's one song called Out of Range. And it was called Out of Range Part 2, so it sent me down a rabbit hole looking for Out of Range Part 1. Surprise, folks. I don't think there is one. I, I, unless there is, unless it's a B-side, it's not on any of their records. That's okay. That's a nice little pop tune. But it's the devils in the details that just jumps out at to me as, I think, maybe their true late-period masterpiece. It is this long, jazzy, groovy, dreamy vibe. And just, again, you know, a little, you know, Detail by detail element comes in. Strings, horns, there's a wah-wah synthesizer. And they're all used so tastefully. Uh, it's, it's nine again, a nine-minute long sort of peripatetic exploration of different moods. But again, uh, this band could evolve a tune right out from under you like basically none other that I'm aware of from this era. And, it, and this is kind of what has made them so singular for me. The Lord is at the mall And the demons are in the trees The devil's in the details Best long song on this album is In Color. In Color uh, is the other great one. In right. Color is so good. It is exactly what I want from that kind of song. Uh, you yep. know, the, the, yeah. the, the way the, I had the, to pick one of them, Scott. Uh, I, the way the chorus, the In Color, is repeated. Um, I, I love that long guitar solo in the middle and the way that, that, that it drones. I don't know how long that's for, 20 seconds? Uh, as the rhythm section sort of repeats itself over and over. That's a great, long song. It's seven plus minutes. In Color is the best song on My Morning Jacket. There's more to life than just black and white So many shades in between
And by the way, I'll tell you, this is another album, 60 minutes long. You could take 25 minutes off of it, and ooh, that would be a much stronger album, wouldn't it? You could leave yeah, the long yeah. songs on it. You don't need to take those off. Take some of these shorter tracks off. And this is, the this is I think, the weakness in the album is this. They, they wrote this in a different way in which I think Jim James said it was like a jazz approach to recording, meaning they'd, right. they'd get around and they'd, they'd just play. And they'd play for half an hour, and maybe they'd pick the best eight minutes out of that half an hour, and that's the song. And so that that results in some cool things. I would imagine In Color came from something like that. But, but it also does allow them to slightly overindulge in the jam bandiness that sometimes... Uh, occurs something like penny for your thoughts uh, there's a mm-hmm. few other songs here where it's a little too jammy it's, a, it's it doesn't quite play yeah. to the great strengths of the band in studio this is, this is, Some of the songs almost feels like, you know, they exist just to kind of get to, like, the, the back half jam of the song. Like, I'm thinking, like, Never in the Real World, or, like, Lucky to be Alive. Right. Yeah. yeah. Breakdowns at the end, and it feels like, well, we, we see the, a couple of minutes on, on the front so we can kind of get to the to the climax of this. But at times, it almost just feels like a little little empty calories with, with some of those types of songs. You mentioned Never in the Real World, and I just had to mention that is Jim James at his most Dylan delivery. I, there are there are little hints of, of sort of Dylan-ness through his through his lyric not lyrics but through his his singing throughout the course of their career. But that is at his most Dylan-y, like like Slow Train Coming era Dylan. He just sounds very much in that same sort of cadence, same sort of vibe. Never in the real world, baby. Never in the day. Never in the light now could I ever find my way Only in the evening when the sun sinks from the sky Only in the moonlight could I ever truly fly Only in the nighttime, baby Never in the day only in the darkness could I ever find my way Never in the real world Never in the real world um, The other one I wanted to mention is lucky to be alive because again i've mentioned a few times now i don't pay a lot of attention to, to lyrics this is one where it's impossible not to pay attention because they're so meta it's about the music business and about them as a band technology came and stole my living again ain't nobody buying records no more oh well they cut off all the bread that used to keep us fed thanks for coming to the show i again not been to a <laughs> concert i imagine this one gets it's played quite a bit and gets Adam, got a pretty good audience yeah. reaction too. 
That is true. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, a lot of the lyrics here, and you know, and again, this like as I have said uh, before, this is certainly not the reason I, I come to to see this band. Why I go, you know, seek them out to listen to them. But some of the lyrics on this album, just you know, a lot of on the nose and sort of cliche references to sort of you know the internet era and consumerism and it's, at times it's a little difficult for me to, to overlook but um but that's not to say there aren't a lot of you know high points on this album too i i totally agree in color is is the best track on this album um and even the the songs i called out before as as kind of you know having those sort of existing just to kind of get to those uh the the jam out at the end you know i still do uh, appreciate those and, and don't mind if those come on and and i think it actually closes uh pretty strongly this album i, I uh, agree with you jeff i like um out of range quite a bit i actually i actually like uh, penny for your thoughts i like you know that it's it's kind of uh, a, a strong rocker from beginning to end and then uh never could get enough at the end uh very similar to me to uh, only memories remain just kind of a nice way to to float off to to close the album so um, so yeah, there's you know definitely uh, a lot to to like with, with this one, even if it isn't their best. Everything you touch turns to love. On earth you're an answer from above. If I falter, your strength falls from my hand With patience, you listen, you understand Can I tell you, that's a heck of a better way to end the show going out than like, you know, you know evil urges for crying out loud or uh you know the, some of these you know other bands that we've gotten to the end of the show and it's that sad late period reunion record and everyone wants to pretend <laughs> it didn't happen this is this is promising i'm it makes yeah. me makes me interested in what the next my morning jacket album is going to be you sure as hell can bet it makes me interested in the next live show they're going to do i guess got to find out if they're coming through chicago i assume they are it's not a small town so uh, i'm gonna gonna go take a look at it but this is you know this is not this is not an unimpressive way to go they still have it on those long songs and they're still appealingly weird at a time where this kind of music really just isn't real it's not being made anymore or that public or the mass audience this is one of the last groups out there that's doing this sort of thing and i'm glad that i just got the chance to discover them for this show and you don't really know what they're gonna do next (laughs) <laughs> really no i mean they, that, that's the thing they they're keeping me guessing because they they really haven't stopped introducing new sounds mm-hmm. and and they also they they corrected themselves you know they're not always perfect they don't have that spoon-like consistency i was going right? to mention that you know in a way you want them to because they've been around so long now and they're war horses on the road and there are a lot of high points here and that's an exact comparison that i had thought of while listening is like they're not quite spoon they're not quite at that level every single time out, you know? Right, or like Radiohead, we're like, yep, that's all great, or at least if you're a true super fan like me, they're a little bit less than that, but man, again, I just, oh, you'll find out in a second, the live stuff more than makes up for any of that, uh, because they have a second aspect to them that's almost equally as thrilling. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I certainly agree that they're not as um, consistent as maybe some of their contemporaries, but I think they have they have um, much higher highs than, than some of those bands as a result of it. And you know, as a fan, you know, I very much appreciate that they they never really tried to make the same album twice. Mm-hmm. You know, that does that doesn't always. You know, they always are trying to push in different directions. And that's had varying levels of, of success, but but really at the end of the day, you know, as I listen through all of these albums, I mean, you know, there's really very few songs that I that I dislike. You know, um, it, at the very least, I think I think that they're they're pretty good. And you know, nine albums in, you know, how many bands can you say that about? I mean, the best thing I can say about my morning jacket is I'm going to be re-listening to this discography a lot in the upcoming weeks and months. Well, you can start. You know, almost immediately, because we're near the end of the program. We come to the part of the show where we give you the two albums you should own, the five songs you must hear from our band, My Morning Jacket, today. Adam Wolner is our guest. Find him on Twitter, at Adam Wolner. Adam, your two songs, I'm sorry, your two albums and your five songs. Uh, well, I kind of alluded to what my my albums are going to be here, and um, and I you know admit there's, it's certainly not the most original picks and uh, would probably be at the top of a lot of other fans list but um, I have to go with It Still Moves and Z uh, I think if My Morning Jacket ever put out a greatest hits album I think probably at least half of it would consist of songs from these two albums I mean you know they still hold up uh, well almost two decades later you know they still you know dominate their their set list when they're on the road and um, and even though uh, they're only two years apart, you know, they really still represent, I think, two kind of distinct sounds and, and eras of the band, one kind of coming to an end uh, and then one coming to a beginning uh, as or, and, and one, you know, just getting off the ground as well with Z. Uh, and they haven't quite been able to, to, to reach the highs of that album since then. But those, but those would be the, the two that I would absolutely put at the top of the list. And then for my five favorite songs, this was really difficult to... <laughs> To narrow down. I mean, there's, you know, 15, 20 songs that I could easily have put on this list. Um, but I'll, I'll start with uh, Phone Went West, which I alluded to earlier, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a lo-fi, um, you know, straightforward song on album. And then, you know, you hear it live and it just erupts into this, you know, just 10 to 15 minute um, uh huge song uh, so that's you know whenever I'm, I'm going to see them live i'm hoping i'm hoping that's going to be on the set list another one that uh kind of fits that category is steam engine from uh it still moves i th- you know as i said before almost you know kind of the, the perfect my morning jacket songs in a lot of ways works well both on the album and in a live setting and then to kind of round out the a trio of kind of these long masterpieces I, i'll go with don dante which is the closer on z and then to, to uh, round out my list, uh, I have to go with uh, Circuital, the, the title track off their 2011 album. It, it's the, the album that, that uh, I first started listening to and I got into the band. Uh, that song in particular, you know, I very much associate with first getting into the band um, and really is a, a quintessential My Morning Jacket song. And then uh, on the, for my fifth one, I, I decided to self-impose the rule of not... Um, uh, of, of not going over one song per album. So I'll go with this, uh, one off the, their later releases, and I'll pick Feel You off of uh, Waterfall 2. All right, my two albums, I can't quite bring myself to bump the Waterfall into the top two. I I can't. You made your pitch sufficiently I made, regardless. I did, and I, I, but I do think the two entry points here for most people are going to be It Still Moves. NZ. So I, I echo Adam's recommendations for the, the two albums that really help define the band. 
Uh, Song-wise, there are a lot of interesting choices here. I I tried to span the career pretty well, which you kind of have to because it's so varied from start to finish. Very, very early, um, Christmas Curtain is on my list. I think Dance Floors is a song that people should hear. And now we get a little little, uh, um, little more difficult to pick out these songs. I, I'm going to say off the record. I, I love that transition from the, the beginning three minutes to the kind of the closing two, two and a half minutes of that, of that song. I think it's one of the catchiest and, and sort of one of the hookiest songs that they've put together in their career. And then these last two tracks are, are tough choices. But I'm going to go with uh, From the Waterfall, Spring, Among the Living. And from the most recent album, In Color, is one you should hear too. Jeff, over to you. All right. For the noob here, I, I, I'm actually going to pull a little bit of a fastball. Since everybody else recommended uh, It Still Moves and Z, I, I'm going to not recommend either of them. And I'm going to say, listen, you can get the best of both of those albums on Okanokos, which is the live album. That's the way you should hear them anyways. You'll, you'll agree over time, I'm pretty sure. And then I'd say At Dawn which is the other one is obviously like it's not as good as those other two but it would give you the best representation of all of these eras you can hear them hear them in their early weird phase which is still quite compelling and then you get to hear them you know playing these songs and the best of their two greatest albums live so that was the the, the reason for my bizarre choice as my five songs there I'm going to go I'm going to go with the big ones because why not because I'm new to this band and so this is a greatest hits troll buddy I will sing you songs might be nine and a half minutes long or whatever it is but to me it kind of represents everything that is epic about my morning jacket and it's it's just them at their long and proggiest you know pearl jammiest Neil Youngiest great uh, one big holiday very much in the same vein it, but much much briefer but it still just builds to some explosive climax at the end of it um i had a friend who uh actually it was alfred schultz who's a friend of the show mm-hmm. uh you know, tweeted me this morning say like that was how a lot of us and we just my morning jacket was just albums to us then we finally saw them on conan o'brien playing yeah. one big holiday with their enormous hair and we were like our minds were blown i was like these guys look like slayer dude um Gideon from Z. Mm, mm-hmm. Gosh, that's one of the most beautiful pop songs I ever wrote. That's where everything came together in terms of this. You, know, it's pop and it's rock and it's just like a legitimate, like artistic creation, and it makes you feel a certain way. And it's so gloriously choreographed. Um, the uh, fourth, I'll have to name, also comes from Z because I can't ignore "Lay Low," which I just again from the drum beat all the way to the end because an enormous, clattersome climax. That's just again, that is them at their most excited and hyper best. If I'm going to choose one from their later career, it will definitely be the Devils in the Details, which to me proves that they've still got it, and they've still got an eye for those details. All that, those strings and horns and wah-wahs and all of the, the, the long like wandering sound of it that still comes together. I know in, in color is also great, but I think Cheap Tricks in color is better, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Just a little bit. Absolutely. Though, you know?
Political Beats look at the music and career of my morning jacket. We thank Adam Wolner, Washington-based journalist covering national politics previously for CNN, McClatchy, and National Journal. You can find him on Twitter at Adam Wolner and our uh, resident My Morning Jacket fanatic going for the Baker's Dozen soon in terms of seeing the band or <laughs> offshoots. Adam, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thanks so much for having me on. This is a blast. Uh, Jeff, next time out we get uh, a little heavier, a little darker, uh, and a little older in terms of the band we feature. Well, we're up for any challenge, my friend. <laughs> uh, find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me there at Scott Bertram. Don't forget our Patreon page, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Support us, help the show stay ad-free, entry-level, mid-level, and our upper-level best friends, early access, higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content, remastered shows, playlists, and more, all at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Subscribe to the feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, or right at nationalreview.com. Find the show on Facebook, follow us, and join the conversation on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.